Hi, I'm the producer of A Public Affair, Jade Isiri Ramos. If you enjoy the show, I hope you'll consider supporting the station. We take donations all year long at wortfm.org. Thanks. Six foot six above sea level. I grab the mic because I like to take you to another mental level. Low power frequency radio modulation. The big sound from underground. We bring the truth to places truth is never heard before. We bring the sound communication of our tribal war. Dark vision fly by helicopters in the night. Attempt triangulation of our And hello. And welcome to a public affair, our noontime community conversation here on Community Radio, WORT. I'm your host, Bert Zipperer, and I'm filling in for my dear friend, Alan Ruff, who is on assignment at an undisclosed location. Today, it is my great pleasure and honor to have as our guest, Ms. Quantise Doris Winters, who is known as the Food Doula. Welcome to WRT. Hello. Oh, Quantis. 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 Yes. It, it is really, really good. We've been, we've been joking. Somehow I put an R in her name. And if I do that, please just call the station and tell them to stop. So welcome to WRT. Hello. Thank you so much. I'm really excited to be here. Well, Hetty Lamar Rudd wrote a great story about you in Love, Wisconsin. Oh, yes. And if you don't know about Love, Wisconsin, go online and sign up for their for their stuff. It's really good. Yes. Um Starting tomorrow, the month of September, you are the naturalist in residence at the Madison Public Library. Yes, yes, and, I am. And you've got a ton of stuff. Plus, you're on PBS with Let's Grow Stuff. Yes. You're a doula. Yes. And much more. So, where should we start? Oh, my goodness. Well, that's a great question. Where should we start? <laughs> well, 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 let's start with the surface stuff and go deep. Okay, so, okay, let's do that. So you're a naturalist in residence. Yes. Tell, tell me about the month coming up with the public library. And oh, you. yes. Yeah. So um, we have, I have 12 events that um, I was able to curate uh, in partnership with the library and Madison Parks. Um, and we're going to do a variety of different things. Um, they're going to range from storybook tellings for, you know, the young kiddos to um, doing nature walks, um, poetry writing. Um, I'll be hosting a few um, um, nature study workshops, just kind of um, immersing people into the process that I have taken myself through um, on building a relationship with the land. Um, and then there are also going to be some workshops on um, different things, delving into like the herbalism realm. So um, actually coming up this weekend, this Saturday, I'll be teaching folks how to make a rose petal and rosemary hair rinse made from apple cider vinegar. Um, so those are, yeah, those are the type of things that we have coming up this month. I'm really excited so you, you tomorrow you're starting at troy farms yes yes and that goes back to your you, you did a you were a, a farmer at troy farms yes, talk I about was. talk about that yeah so uh a few years ago i think it was about oh three four years now um i did troy farms farmer apprenticeship program and this is basically just a program um, that's really great for people who um, might not have a lot of experience with farming and you want to know what the lifestyle is like you want to know what you would need to learn in order to start your own farm one day things like that um, at the time when I had gotten into it I knew that I really wanted to um, I needed some place where I could learn how to work the land. I didn't have any knowledge of how to grow food at the time, um, didn't really know where to start. And I did a Google search and found out about this program. Um, and um, they quickly were like, yes, let's do this. Um, and I became a part of the team. And my days basically just looked like me being out on the farm and working all day long, harvesting food, planting seeds, um, working the ground, learning about different equipment that you know it takes to run a farm and to do some of that work. Um, it was a really beautiful experience, and I would highly suggest for anyone who's interested in wanting to know more about um, how to grow food, or if you want to have your own like like agricultural operation one day, I think it's really great to start off with something like an apprenticeship. Exactly. Um, and it's really awesome because it's it's an urban farm. So it's right on the north side. Um, you're in a beautiful residential area. You get to connect with some of the folks who, uh, you know, actually live nearby. It's it's a great place. Shout out to Paul, Paul Huber. He's the farm manager. <laughs> Paul, <laughs> call, working with me. <laughs> Paul, you can call in to 608-256-2001 with your questions or comments. 
things, and so can the rest of you. This is a community conversation. We welcome you joining the conversation. Now, you're at Troy Garden or Troy Farms, and you meet a PBS producer who invites you to start doing a show uh-huh. called Let's Grow Stuff, yes. which I saw yesterday. So now I've learned about determinate versus indeterminate tomatoes. <laughs> yes. Um, but that's that's a great show. Mm-hmm. Thank you. So talk about that. Yeah. Well, so I met Emily, um, who is the producer for Let's Grow Stuff, on a random day after I had just got done making deliveries um, for the farm. We, like, deliver food at different um local community centers. I had just got done doing that and I'm pulling up and I just see this woman and the cutest outfit. And so I just stopped the truck just to tell her because that's my personality. (laughs) So I was just like, oh, I love your outfit. Like you look like a safari woman. Like I just, I love your style. Um, And she actually was on at Troy Farm that day filming an episode for Let's Grow Stuff uh, with Ben Fuda, who's my co-host. And Every now and then I would see her on the land. She'd be filming something for Let's Grow Stuff or something else for PBS uh, at Troy. And then randomly, a few months later, Paul emails me and he's like, hey, um, so someone from PBS wanted to reach out to you. Is it okay if I give you their information? And I'm like, absolutely. <laughs> like, I would love to do that. Um, and so we connected and they were like, yeah, we would really love for you to be on this show. Uh, we think you would be great for it. And I just really love your personality. Every time we've interacted, like, you know, you've had mm-hmm. great energy. Exactly. Um, do, do you have experience with being on camera? And I was like, do I? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and I would love to do this. Um, so yeah, that's, that's kind of how that all came to be. And now I've been that, going strong with them for a while now. That is awesome. And it's a great show. I mean, I, 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 I checked out an episode <laughs> yesterday. I was like, oh, my. Oh, thanks. <laughs> now, you're also a doula. Yes, I am. Talk about being a doula. Yes, yes. So for those who are not familiar with what a doula is, um, doulas are basically individuals who support mothers um, physically and emotionally um, during labor and childbirth and also during postpartum. Um, we also are there as advocates during the birthing process as well, just making sure that um, your boundaries are being respected, um, your needs are being met, things like that. Um, I started that journey about three years ago. I got trained through Harambe Village, so shout mm-hmm. out to you all. Um, and also got my training through Amy Gilliland of um, doula, doula-ing the doula. Um, and so I once I was trained with them, I kind of went uh, full force with serving, um, you know, folks in the Madison area. Um, but that that all started just because of my love for birth. Um, I have been in love with it since I was a, a little girl. There used to be this show on TLC. I've told this story a few times, so mm-hmm. sorry for anyone who's hearing this for the 50th time. <laughs> it's, a, it's a good story. It's a good story. Thank you. Um, but there is a show on TLC called The Birthing Story, mm-hmm. um, and it's basically a show that just follows a family from the point of them finding out that they're pregnant and then you get to like follow them all the way to the birth of the baby and I just remember being like absolutely amazed by it Um, but it wasn't until I was like in my early 20s that I discovered that like birth wasn't as beautiful and empowering for every person Um, and I was watching a documentary by Ricky Lake um, and it's called The Business of Being Born And she mentions doulas in this documentary. Um, And at the time, I had just been kind of going through a crash course of realizing that a lot of women are going to the hospital and not being treated fairly. Um, They're not having healthy birth outcomes um, and are kind of leaving traumatized from the experience. So once I watched that documentary, I kind of was just like, yeah, this is is what I want to do. It just lit a fire in me. Um, And... Yeah. So when I had the opportunity to get the training, I jumped at it. Um, and now I'm a doula and I actually have gone full time into that work as of June. So I no longer work, a, you know, a full time, quote unquote, regular job. Now I'm, I'm a full time entrepreneur um, and I'm I'm serving mamas in Madison full time. So that if is, you're pregnant and, you, and you need a doula, you know, hit me up. <laughs> that is great. Now, the last topic of and then we're going to go deep. Oh. <laughs> Is, you, you highlight your, your ancestry. Yes. Talk about your grandfather's Gullah Geechee ancestry. Yes, yes. So 
My grandfather is Gullah Geechee, um, and they are a group of people who inhabit the Sea Islands of the Carolinas. Um, and I never, I didn't know about this group of people until my grandmother told me about them when I was, I believe I was around like 16 years old. I know I was in high school. Um, and randomly one day she just like, made like a flippant comment and just said that he was Gullah Geechee. And I didn't, I was just like, oh, okay. I didn't really know what it meant. I didn't really think about it. Um, and then years later, when I was in my early 20s and I was just trying to figure out like, I was trying to connect more with the land, trying to understand more about my heritage. And I just remembered out of the blue that my grandmother had made this comment about my grandfather. And so I did a lot of research and just learned of this beautiful ancestry of these people who have such a beautiful connection to the land, such a deep culture, um, very unique culture. Um, and that actually learning about my grandfather's heritage really was like the seed that started this whole journey of like me being able to be here today and exactly. as the naturalist um, for the residency at the Madison Libraries this year. Yeah. It's, ama it's an amazing journey. Yeah. You mean your story real. is really for real an adventure. Yeah, for real. It is. <laughs> and each like along each part of that journey, like I have felt like almost I don't want to say lost in a sense, but like fully surrendered to that process, right? And not really having any end goals of what's gonna come of it. I just know that like along the way, I discover things about myself and I feel this inkling to like go forth and and delve into it more, go deeper, get more knowledge about that. And then years later, all of a sudden, it like blossoms into a new part of like who I am, which exactly. is really interesting. And what's your grandfather's name again? Robert Eugene Winters. Uh. <laughs> What a great name. <laughs> we were just talking about how our ancestry for both of us um, um, is important. Mm -hmm. And today is the 135th birthday of my great-grandmother, Annie Sizzler Crawl Resnicek. So a shout-out to great-grandma Annie. Yeah, shout-out to Annie. <laughs> and, and your grandfather as well. Yeah, shout-out to Robert. <laughs> <laughs> now, um, we invite you listeners to call in at 608-256-2001, extension 9. And we would love to invite you into the conversation on all these levels. Uh, my guest is Quantice Doris Winters, and she is the food doula. And you can meet her starting tomorrow as a naturalist and resident of the public library. You can see her on PBS. You can you can just do all sorts of things. <laughs> if you if you need a doula, there she is. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, you speak really lovingly and, and, and profoundly about doula. The work as a doula and mm -hmm. food mm -hmm. and, and nurturing, especially marginalized people. Talk yes. about that. Yeah. So um, the well, first, the whole the the moniker, the food doula came from uh, one of my mentors, Michaela Barry uh, Smith. She actually was the person who first like coined that name for me. Um, but I'll dig a little deeper into like the the story behind that and why I believe food is so uh, imperative uh, when I'm serving um, the folks that I'm serving. Um, when I, I first moved back to uh, Madison, Wisconsin um, from living in Minneapolis for a time. And when I had moved back to Madison, I was very unwell. Um, I was significantly underweight. You could literally like see the bones like protruding out of my body. I couldn't hold down food, um, could barely hold down water, um, and was just just struggling. I was just struggling physically. Um, and I moved in with my mother, and um, one day, and I actually wrote about this um, in Edible Magazine, but one day um, she was just like looking at me while I was on the couch trying to like stomach down some food so that I could, you know, continue to live. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> um, and she's like, you know, I, I know what to do. Uh, and the next day she makes me a pot of collard greens. Um, and, you know, for those who are familiar, uh, collard greens are a very big traditional dish in the African-American community. Um, comes out a lot during holidays, things like that. Um, and I ate those greens. And for the first time, I was able to hold down food. And I would proceed to eat um 
a specifically a strict diet of collard greens and cornbread for about like two weeks. And then my appetite came back and I was able to eat other foods and I started to gain weight and started to have the energy to do things like going on walks. Um, and that was a moment of my life where, you know, here's another seed being planted about how um, beneficial food is and mm -hmm. how it really is medicine. Exactly. Um, and so when I started my doula practice, um, something that just naturally evolved as I was serving folks was cooking them food. And a lot of times I would cook them collard greens. Um, for those who don't know, collard greens are actually um, high in iron. They're high in vitamin K. Those things are great for um, helping to restore your blood after you have given birth. And so I would make this nutritious meal um, for folks who had just given birth um, and started to kind of like just evolve that over time, making, you know, uh, more... Uh, intricate types of meals um, besides just the collard greens um, and yeah it just kind of became part of my practice and now people know me as the food doula because of that <laughs> well and, and you write so lovingly about the the rich relationship with the land yeah. for all african-american people yes talk yes. about that yeah so as a, a, a young girl, I dealt with a lot of different stereotypes about what was black enough, mm -hmm. um, specifically when it came to nature. So um, there were things from, uh, you know, what were things that people told me were not black? Things like camping. That was like camping considered is not. In. Yeah, that was considered like, okay, that's not a black thing to do. Mm -hmm. um, things like hiking. That was considered not a black thing to do. So there were like a lot of ways that I was limited um, from doing things that I actually had a genuine interest in. Um, and... I noticed that that's not just something that's unique to my experience as Quantese, but it's also something that a lot of black folks have to deal with or just like trying to deal with the stereotypical um, uh, perspectives of like what it means to have a relationship with the land as a black person. Um, and so a lot of my journey has not only been trying to unlearn those things for myself um, so that I can feel a sense of freedom when I am um, learning new things or uh, having new experiences with the outdoors, but also trying to pull in other black folks so that they can have that aha moment that I had too. Mm -hmm. um, and honestly, the the whole aha moment came from me learning about my grandfather's culture. Um, this was a Gullah Geechee people have a, deep relationship with the land that's where their medicine came from that's where their their celebrations were held that's how they got their sustenance like there's such a a deep cultural relationship that they had and i just had this moment where i'm like oh actually it's very black to have a relationship with the land and i don't have to run away from like this inkling that i have to just be outside um and so i want other people to have that even if you you know don't necessarily have any roots to Gullah Geechee, like black black history is also is also connected to the land and it's not just connected to um the trauma that we have dealt with um and you know that's another thing that i'll say i feel like something that holds back a lot of black folks from connecting to the land is the fact that a lot of the trauma that we have dealt with in america nature is the backdrop of that um you can go any from anywhere from slavery to um lynchings there's like this backdrop of like nature being an unsafe place for black people and that is something that i deeply understand but i also want us to be able to um heal from that and heal from it in a way that allows us to see that there's also beauty that our history also has like these beautiful and amazing moments that are connected to nature too and i think that not embracing that or allowing ourselves to go on a journey to connect with the land is almost allowing um the like this that pattern of things being taken away from us i think we can take our power back as a community by saying no we do have a place outside we're gonna go camping this weekend <laughs> this is great um i'm i'm, I'm talking with quantice doris winters and you can, too. Just call 608-256-2001, extension 9. We are talking about 
all sorts of things. Um, but you can meet her starting tomorrow as a naturalist in residence with the public library. See her on PBS at Let's Do Let's Grow Stuff. And historically, let's go back a little bit. Yes. You started on the radio at your church with Pastor David Smith. Talk yes. about that. So, okay, so I did a radio show with um, Pastor David Smith. Shout out to you. Yes, um, he's a great and guy. And Jeannie Erickson. Um, it's, it was called Let's Go to Church. I don't even remember how I got that opportunity. I just know that I was connected to Jeannie. Mm-hmm. I was connected to Gotti. Um, rest in peace to Gotti. Um, and I... Um, you know, got this opportunity to be on the show and I co-hosted with Pastor David Smith and we talked about things that were going on in the community. Mm-hmm. Basically, it was like a it was a community show, but then we would play gospel music during the breaks. Um, people would call in and we would get to talk to each other. Um, I think I had like a little segment on the show, but I can't remember specifically what I did. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was a great experience for me. I was I think I was like a freshman in high school or maybe in eighth grade. I know I was like younger. Um, and it was I think that was one of the the pivotal times in my life where I got to fully be myself in what for me was considered a professional space. Mm-hmm. Um, it was just really nice just to be able to to walk in my gifting because um, broadcast journalism is actually one of my first loves. Um, I when I was younger, was convinced that I was going to have a radio show. I was convinced that I would, you know, be the next Oprah. Like that was just like always in my exactly. my mind. And then time went on, and I was just like, oh, maybe not. Um, but interesting enough, here I am on the radio today, exactly. which is crazy. And PBS. <laughs> and PBS. I know, right? It's crazy. But but yeah. So yes, I did that show, um, and then I also did uh, Club TNT as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was uh, an opportunity that I got to be in front of the camera uh, versus on air. Um, and I would cover different community events that were going on. Um, I would get the chance to interview people. Like I remember one time, um, there's like a Martin Luther King like achievement award yes. ceremony that mm-hmm. happens every year. So I got to cover that one year and I was like interviewing the folks who got, you know, awards that day. It was just really nice. That yeah. is great. Now you're born in Chicago Heights, mm-hmm. Illinois. Mm-hmm. And you moved to Middleton, Wisconsin at age six when your dad gets a job up here. Uh Uh-huh. Yes. That was a major change. Yes. Talk about... It was a huge change. Yeah, talk about Middleton. Oh, Lord of mercy. (laughs) You're you're one of two students of color in your elementary school? Yes. Yes. That That was a crazy experience because I went from... Being in Chicago Heights, uh, the suburbs of Chicago, where the elementary school that I was at at the time was extremely diverse. There were children from all walks of life, all ethnicities. I was I never felt um, I didn't I never really felt like I I stood out, if that makes sense. Like it never world community. Yeah, exactly. Like being black, like I knew I was a black girl, but I never felt black until I moved to Middleton, Wisconsin, where it was very clear that I was black. Talk about your street that you lived on. (laughs) I lived on Patty Lane. um, And on Patty Lane, um, my family, we were actually the only black family on that street uh, for a very long time. Um, After a while, I kind of just got used to it, but it was definitely really hard trying to transition into that because Everything from how I spoke at the time, I had a very thick Chicago dialect. Uh, so my folks from Chicago know, like, I didn't say eyes. I said as. I didn't say bed. I said bid. So there were just like, <laughs> I talked different. Mm-hmm. The way that I wore my hair was different. Um, and it was definitely difficult for me to um, acclimate to that. But thankfully, I was able to, you know, find... Um, Little Pockets of Joy had a very special best friend. Her name was Megan Beckman. Um, She was my best friend at the time and was a safe space for me and helped me to get through school. Um, I had a teacher, Mrs. Brown, who um, was my literacy teacher. She was amazing. Um, And then um, playing outside. That was like another safe space for me. Um, So most of the time after school, that's immediately what I would do. I would just go outside and just 
let my imagination run wild. Really? What would you do? I, okay, so there are many things that I would do. Um, so first of all, I love to like play house, mm-hmm. but it was always by myself. I played by myself a lot as a child. I would play house, and in my playing house, it would always be the same scenario. I'm cooking dinner for my family. Um, and so I there was a particular tree that I liked to be under, um, and I would just sit by that tree, and I would make mud pies and, like, salads made out of, like, leaves that had fallen from the trees, things uh-huh. like that, and soups with water and, you know, dirt and stuff. Um, there was a playset that was behind my house um, that our neighbors let um, me and my brother use sometimes and I used to act like I was a pirate like I can still envision this this whatever you would call it um but I would be a pirate and there would be like some sort of gym that me and my crew would have to get so I would play that game a lot by myself um and I think honestly I feel like my experiences playing outside have a lot to do with why I was so interested in acting later in my life because I was honestly what I was doing was just like making different plays like I would have a whole I would I would be talking to myself and and just acting all the way through like I would really take on these characters like, that's great yeah when I was playing pirate I was a pirate <laughs> you could couldn't tell me otherwise <laughs> and you're creating food in your yes. kitchen there yes shades of future exactly it's yeah it's very interesting um how when i look back on my life i can see some of those like natural um interests that i had and how they kind of like kept kept up during my mm-hmm. life um so th- i mean i think that's definitely something for for those parents out there too like when you notice your child's natural inclinations like don't just brush those off like definitely pour off into those because that could be like your little you know look into the future of what they are to become if you nurse and nourish those things properly exactly yeah yeah. So let me invite our listeners to okay. join us at 608-256-2001, extension 9. We would love to hear your comments, questions, thoughts. Um, Quantis Doris Winters is our guest, and we are talking to her as the food doula. <laughs> so um, let's talk about the profound... You, you, you talk and you write profoundly Thank you. of the spiritual nature of food of mm-hmm. nature of birth yeah and, and of our lives yeah um talk about that yeah so um i how do i word this i feel like you can look at things like birth as you know in just the medical sense um you know it's a phenomenon that you know people go through they give birth they have the baby okay um but i i feel like it's something that goes much deeper than that and the reason why i feel like it goes deeper than that is because it's not having a baby is not like going to the bathroom right you don't just have the baby or do the thing and then you're done it is a a full multi-dimensional transformation that you go through you have a baby you birth a baby but you also give birth to a whole new version of yourself um you're not who you were before you had this child um and so that's why i feel like it's something that's a lot more spiritual um i feel like it's a lot deeper um than just what may meet the eye for some people um and I always love to emphasize that when, you know, I'm working with folks, you know, um, when they're pregnant, um, because I feel like there needs to be more space allowed in that. I feel like it can make your transitions a lot more graceful if we're making time out to address the fact that like, hey, you're going through a lot of changes. And in a way, I don't want to say identity crisis because identity crisis has like not a good connotation to it, but it's it's 
it reminds me of just like when people are like having a, a midlife crisis and they're like, whoa, I'm learning new things about myself. And all of a sudden the things that I've been wanting to do for years, I don't want to do anymore. And now I'm like trying to find myself. I feel like you go through that a bit when you find out that you're going to have a child. And then when you actually give birth to that child, because your life changes completely, um, the way that you're able to do things changes completely, your interests change. Um, the things that you're willing to engage in change. Um, and as humans, I feel like we we place our identity in those things a lot. And so when that starts to shift, it can cause like this spiritual, emotional, mental um, disruption, which I don't think is a bad thing, but I do think um, that's why, you know, you, you need that extra support and why doulas are so beneficial if you have the right one, um, because they can kind of um, help to guide you not only through the physical aspect of your maternal journey, but also that mental aspect as well of like coming on to this new identity. Yeah. And talking about the food doula. Yes, yes. So um, the food doula as in who am I as the food doula or my work as the food doula? Yes, both. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, so, so yes, uh, the food doula um, is me. No, I'm joking. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> um, yeah, so. But it ties into this profound giving birth to the next generation. Yeah, yeah. This profoundness about life. Yes, and, yes. And, and nourishing that life. That's, yes. That's us and that's the next generation. Yes. I I think something that I definitely want to highlight as far as that work goes is the fact that you can look at other cultures around the world and they have a very specific and strict process for what um, specifically your postpartum process looks like. Most of these processes include food, okay. um, specific things that you should be eating, um, ways that you should be eating the food, um, things that you should be wearing, what activities you're allowed to do, all of these things. In America, we do not have that. The culture, I feel like in America, is very much so like snapback culture. It's kind of how, mecha mechanical, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. How how quickly can you look the way that you looked before you had the baby? How quickly can you get back to work? Um, the, some of the top priorities for folks who are having babies right now are things like childcare because we don't really have it built into our culture to like have a proper, um, you know, postpartum rest period <laughs> after you give birth to your child. Um, and that's where a lot of like my, um, that's like what I like to focus on a lot when it comes to my food doula work is how do I create this personal ritual for the folks that I am working with um, so that they can have their own time of acclimating right and that just even brings it back to that the spiritual aspect of um, becoming this new person of becoming a mother when you have a proper period um a lot of cultures say it's like the that first 40 days and I, I do agree with that um to to rest to let your body heal to connect to your child um to get the nutrients that you need for your body um when you have that time I feel like it really it helps you to uh what's the word it's I speak a lot in analogies Good. so okay so I would say that being able to have that time after your birth and having those nourishing foods is like having it's like being on a sled going down a hill versus trying to be on your butt because you know like mm -hmm. when you're going down you're trying to like slide down the hill and you're on your butt and it's like wow i'm kind of stuck at certain points and i'm mm -hmm. like having to scooch myself down versus being on a sled and you just get that little gentle push and now you're just sailing i feel like that's the difference that it makes um and that's why my work is um, what I call being the food doula mm. is so important because I feel like it's um, it's just another way to go deeper into um, to healing and even just, you know, food in and of itself um, can do a lot for us just on a, a deeper spiritual level as well. Um, when my mom made me those greens, mm -hmm. it wasn't just a pot of collard greens. It was 
a pot of memories. When I smelled her cooking it, immediately I started to feel the feelings that I felt when I would smell that smell while we're on, you know, having family gatherings. Um, and I want to be able to bring that to the mamas that I serve. Um, that's why I try to make sure that I don't just um, learn about foods that are traditional to my culture, but I like to learn about foods that are traditional to other cultures too. When I work with moms, I like to ask them, hey, what what is a meal that feels like a hug to you? And then I'm like, okay, now how can I make this as nutritious as possible for their healing process? Um, because food, food just has a way of speaking to your soul. It really does. And it it helps us to tap into certain memories um, and certain emotions that I feel like are just as important as the nutritional value of the food that we eat, too. And it's very much a social justice. Exactly. Yeah. I never thought of it that way. Mm-hmm. Wow. Thank you, Bert. Well, I, I'm just thinking that you're talking about child care. Yes. And today in the news, mm-hmm. we have um, a state that has five or six billion dollars in the bank. Yeah. And, and some state leaders are only... The only addressing of child care is that let's put more kids in a class and let's have younger people actually staffing it. Don't um, even get me started. Yeah, I know. <laughs> well, what, 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 take that and run with that just for a second. Look. Yes. But, what, what, risk, risk starting that. It's okay. So, okay. Where do I begin? I'm, I'm, I want to be um, diplomatic. You don't have to be that diplomatic. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> But, but we're dealing with children. We're dealing with the next generation. Yeah. I mean, you're talking about helping change the world yeah. by working with the mothers, yes. working with the land, yes. uh, connecting people back to nature as much as possible. Yeah. I would. I want to say this, um, just like when it comes to um, the social justice aspect of all of this. So if, if you're not familiar, in Madison, we're dealing with some very horrible disparities when it comes to um, black maternal and infant um, morality rates. Um, it Statistically, black women are going into hospitals to give birth to life and not leaving with theirs. Um, and their babies are not ending up well. And it's not because there's something that's inherently wrong um, with black bodies or with black babies. It's because of these systems that we're trying to navigate and how they affect our birth and outcomes. Um, and so for the jo- social justice aspect of it, I think that's why it's so important to have a doula in the room because that's another person who can be there to advocate for you when your mind is not always fully there. Like when you're giving birth to a child, you're you're busy. You're not. Yeah, you're not trying. You're not thinking about the fact that, you know, this doctor is doing something over here that you're not necessarily comfortable with. Your brain is in literally fight or flight mode. And all you want to do is make sure that you give birth to your baby and that that baby is healthy and safe. That's where your mind is at. And so some of the details that kind of may um, get through that that filter that lens that you're working through mm-hmm. now while you're in labor and birth, um, doulas can catch that. And while doulas are not, um, it's not in our scope of practice to speak for the folks that we work with, but it is fully within our scope of practice to, to be uh, an observer and to be the one who's like, um, uh, I would say ring the alarm almost in a sense. So uh, let's say if I know that I um, on on my client's birth plan, she specifically said that um, she wants time just to hold the baby after birth and she doesn't want um, to receive any drugs to help her with delivering her placenta. But immediately after birth, doctor the doctors are like, and the nurses are like trying to grab the baby and like run, you know, the the regular test and, and someone is like trying to give her a shot so that they can, you know, get those contractions going so that her placenta can get delivered. I I would step in and be like, oh, hey, um, Jessica, I believe on your birth plan, you said that you don't want to get Pitocin, right? And then she would say yes. And I would go to the doctor. Oh, she doesn't want that. Like, that's exactly. how we kind of step in. It's more of like a um, a uh, a gentle um, assertiveness, if mm-hmm. I can say it that sure. way. Yeah. You're an advocate. Exactly. Yeah. And I think that that's extremely important. Um, and even just when it comes to um, 
the whole uh, child care thing. Um, I just really wish and I really think that it would just be better even for some of those birth outcomes because the birth outcomes, they're not just affecting moms while they're in the hospital. It's also like in that postpartum period while their bodies are healing where these things are starting to take place. It's not always just like right there in the moment during birth. Um, and I feel like being able to have a proper resting period a proper postpartum period after you give birth to your child would make a world of a difference but i under i know because we live in a capitalist society mm -hmm. the focus is not on how do we help people to be healthy how do we help people to be um at their best selves it's about how can we reach these numbers? How can we produce more? Exactly. And when you have that mindset, the well-being of people is not even a factor. Um, and I feel like that's why um, we are struggling the way that we're struggling now um, with these maternal rates is because well-being is not ingrained into how we're um, working with people, how we're, you know, writing policies and things like that. Um, and yeah. How common is it for people to have doulas like you oh, with them? That's a, like me? I, well, how common is it for someone to have a doula like me? I would say not very common. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I have a very um, particular approach to my work, but how common is it for a person to have a doula? I think that it's becoming more popular, but I do think that historically this is something that um, mostly people who are higher income mm -hmm. and who are white who have been able to have access to. And so that's why when it comes to um, my services and, and uh, who I came into mm -hmm. this work to serve, a lot of the folks who I wanted to serve were marginalized women. Um, I have a heart for women who are in prisons because women in prisons are pregnant and having babies too. Mm -hmm. I have a heart for folks who are living on the street because people are homeless and fully pregnant and having babies and they deserve and need care too. Mm -hmm. people who are struggling with mental um, health issues, um, people who are struggling with drug addictions. These are people who still go to the hospital to have their baby, but because of how society views them, they're not deemed as worthy for an empowered birth. And that's something that I want to dispel as a doula and something that I plan to and do dispel through the service that I give. Um, I'm, I serve everybody. Um, and I believe that everyone deserves to have a birth where they walk out of it empowered and not traumatized um, and fearful of having another child because of something that could have been avoided if there was more patience, more care, more love, more intentionality. Um, um, so, so yes. Um, but yeah, I, I will say, you know, I, I feel like I'm one of a kind. <laughs> well, and, and, and your statement that you just made is beautiful. Thank you. And that's what comes through in the writings and in the interviews with you that I read. Mm -hmm. And I'm glad you did that. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> um, and those systems that, that are constraining us away from yeah. our humanness and yeah. from caring, um, you are doing sacred battle with them. Yeah, thank so, you. So call 608-256-2001, extension 9, and join the conversation with Quantis, Doris, Winters, the food doula, and so much more. So um, I'm glad you're here. Thank you. W what is it that people need to know the most? Mm. Or, or what, what, in your experience, what is it that, um, what jumps out at you is like, this is key, this is... Yeah. Or one of the keys. There's mm -hmm. more than one key. Um, well, I'll take it back to just the whole um, goals for my residency. Yes. And why I chose the name Rooted in Nature. Um, what I want people to take away um, from their time with me during this month of September is that we all have a place when it comes to uh, having a relationship with the outdoors. And when you say all, you really mean all. I mean everybody. Yes. I mean, regardless of uh, what your ability is, like whether you're differently abled, um, what whatever your sexuality is, whatever your gender is, we all have a place. I feel like um, 
when we take in like a lot of like the media that surrounds like outdoorsy things, typically what you think are, you know, white men. And that's who you feel like, okay, this is who this place is for. And when you want to learn different things, sometimes like I've even gone to workshops and I've literally been like the only woman and the only black person in the room. And it's like, it can feel kind of awkward and depending on how, where, what location I'm at can feel a little scary too. (laughs) Talk about some of those. Yeah. So there have been uh, instances where I've wanted to, uh, attend different workshops like um, hunting mm-hmm. thing, like learning how to hunt. Cause that's like one day I want to own a, a homestead and I would like to, you know, be out there, you know, catching my own animals and, you know, doing all that type of stuff. Um, and I've been in these rooms and it's, uh, how do I phrase it? It's like um, a certain, the, I end up in rooms with like a certain type of person, like the people who have like um, Confederate flags hanging off of their trucks. And I'm like pulling into pulling into the parking lot and I'm like, oh, uh, for some reason, I feel like I'm not supposed to be here. And then you press through and then you're in the room and it's just like, wow, I feel extremely uncomfortable. And it's like this weird feeling of of being invisible because you're not really acknowledged but also being like hyper visible. It's like, I don't know how to explain that feeling. Mm-hmm. I feel like sure. if, if you've ever been in a position where you're like the odd one out, you know what it feels like to be a hyper visible, invisible person. Yeah. And that's what it feels like when you try to walk into some of these spaces and learn the things that you want to learn so that you can be a part of the outdoors. Or there have even been times where I wanted to or had the thought of doing things like, you know, um, being a solo camper Mm -hmm. and I'm a researcher and I would like research uh, stories uh, on the Internet of just like people who look like me and their experience doing that. And then they're sharing all these horrible things happening to them of like people calling the police on them and things like that. Yeah. Just just because you're black and outside. Um, And so. I, I do want to say uh, that's why I really appreciate organizations like Color in the Outdoors mm-hmm. um, and Outdoor Afro. Uh, they're both uh, based in Madison and they do that work of creating opportunities for black and people of color to get together and have these first time um, outdoor experiences that you wouldn't necessarily feel comfortable doing alone or if you didn't have you know someone guiding you through that process. Um, Keller in the Outdoors, uh, both of the organizations have like hosted workshops on how to hunt. I Outdoor Afro like took a group of folks to, to learn how to turkey hunt like a few months back. Um, in the outdoors will you know take you on the water and you learn how to go kayaking i actually plan to go with a group uh, in a couple weeks here um so groups like that are so important for that work mm-hmm. because that's another thing that will hold uh, a lot of black folks back even for people like me who know that i have a place but sometimes you just won't go because you don't want to deal with what it feels like to be the only black person in the space exactly. trying to learn something that you don't really know how to do too. Cause it's a little right. bit different if, you know, like I know what I'm doing, then I can, you know, have a little confidence, but then what I, I'm like the odd one out and I don't know what I'm doing. It's like, that's a lot. <laughs> that is a ton. That is a lot. Um, but yeah, I, I want people to walk away from this um, residency not only knowing that they have a place, but I also want to awaken this fire in them to start to do some of those things. And it, it, it could look as simple as just going for a hike. Exactly. There are so many beautiful um, nature trails and parks in Madison. There's a trail or a app that I like to use. It's called All Trails. Okay. And you put in your zip code and it'll tell you all the trails that are like in your vicinity. Um, I use that. And I'll just like go for a hike for a few hours. And it's it's amazing how it just like it just fills you up like nature is just so beautiful. And I think that we all deserve to have access to the medicine that nature gives us just by being in the presence of it. Um, And yeah. How do people get in touch with you? Oh, that's a a wonderful question. (laughs) 
So um, you can get in touch with me through a multiple different multiple different ways. Um, if you are interested in connecting with me for doula services, you can email me at oasismaternalcare dot um, at gmail dot com. Um, you can also reach out to me on my website quantisdorice dot com, and you could also reach out to me on Instagram. I'm on social media, and that's um, Instagram, and that's quantisdorice. Um, on Instagram and on Facebook as well. Um, and then um, also I have a business number now. Um, so for those who are interested in doula services, you can simply call uh, my business line for Oasis Maternal Care, which is 608-622-7033. That's great. And Jade's going to put those in the website post, she says. Wonderful. Thank you, Jade. Thanks, Jade. Um, <laughs> and, and, um, and talk about... Um, the places where people can see you oh, yes. and meet you th- in, in this next month. Yes, yes, yes. Because you started this, tomorrow you started Troy Garden mm-hmm. or Troy Farm. Yes. And yep. then what else? Where else? So, um, so tomorrow we'll be at Troy Farm and that's just uh, like your time to meet me. I'll talk to people a little bit more about um, my plans for the residency, the heart of the residency and, you know, um, why it's called Rooted in Nature, you know, things like that. And I'll take folks on a, a uh, tour of Troy Farm, which it's a is a great farm. Yeah, it's you know it's where I got my start. I want mm-hmm. people to like really immerse themselves in my journey, and I it's such a beautiful piece of land. Like I it love is. that place, um, and a lot of folks who live on the north side don't even know that it exists. So that's also it's another opportunity. Of, it's right there, and it's, it's hidden. hidden. Yeah. yeah, it's yeah. like it's it's out there, but not really. Like right. it's like in its own little pocket. Um, it's a it's a little oasis in and of itself. Um, but that'll be at Troy Farm. Um, from 6 o'clock to 7 p.m. And then this Saturday, I will be um, teaching folks how to make their own apple cider vinegar hair rinse um, with rosemary and rose petals. Um, that is going to be, let me just double check the the time here. I have it pulled up. I think it's 2 o'clock. Yep, 2 to 3. You're absolutely right. Thank you so much, Bert. You're welcome. So, yeah, that'll be from 2 o'clock to 3 o'clock at the Alicia Ashman Library. Um, and then we have a, a few other uh, events going on. And if you are um, interested in finding out what those are, you can go to madpl.org slash naturalist. Um, I will say some of these um, uh events do require registration so I would suggest that if you are interested that you register as soon as possible because once the space fills up we unfortunately wouldn't be able to take any more people Um, just you know because of you know it looks like you're going to be at Goodman South Library Alicia Ashman yep um, Sequoia, Meadow Ridge, yep. Lakeview. I'll be um, at um, Goodman Community Center. I'll be doing some storybook readings too um, for a few different community centers and schools. Um, so also keep an eye out on that. We're still getting the times and things settled for that. But um, if you have a child that's at the Goodman Community Center, I will be there on September 11th um, and reading them some beautiful nature stories. That's great. And Edna Taylor Conservation Park, Heritage Park. Yes. Oh yes. my gosh. So uh, let me, I can pull up the schedule here and let folks know when that is going to be. That's going to be on Friday, September 8th. We'll be uh, doing nature writing and a meditative walk at the Edna, um, Edna Taylor Conservation Park um, from 6 o'clock to 7 p.m. Um, sign up is also re- going to be required for that one as well. Um, but we'll just be walking through this beautiful area and then we will write a collective poem together after we take a meditative walk. Um, and I'm really excited for that. This is such a joy talking with you, Quantis oh, Doris Winters. Thank you. Um, <laughs> we, we've got about 20 seconds left. What, 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 what didn't we talk about that you can fill us in in 20 seconds? Oh, what didn't we talk about that? that um, what should people know about you? Oh, what should people know about me? Um, people, I think people should know about me that I... I want to meet you. <laughs> so come <laughs> and on I, out. And I say that, and I say yes. that to say, when you all do come out to the events, please come up to me, talk to me, introduce yourselves, let's connect. I'm always looking for more opportunities to connect with um, folks who are doing similar work in Madison or folks who want to learn more about the work that I do and you want to collaborate on something. Please reach out to me um, as a full time entrepreneur. I have all the time in the world. So, yeah. Quantis, what a joy. And 
We are wrapping up now, so thank you for listening to A Public Affair Today with Quantis Doris Winters. With information that would never be reported. Disregard the mainstream, media distorted. We come and listen and support it.